Hello and welcome to Church, the Church of Sport, where we slice our crosshair through the nonsense with our honest sport sermons. I'm Pastor Stu and joining me is my co-host, the very, very Reverend Mike. How's it going today? Uh, it's going well, Pastor Stu. Yep, uh, good to be back in the church to um, preach another sermon. Yeah, I'm half contemplating whether I should be the vicar because it sounds a bit dirty. <laughs> I'll keep past. I'll keep past the stew for now. There are only so many things the Pope is going to forgive you for. Yeah, that's right. So. Okay, so we'll get straight into it then. So on the weekend, Bledisloe Cup two, uh, All Blacks forty, Australia twelve. Um, firstly, what did you think of the game? Well, I think you know as we as we talked about last week, it, it uh, followed a pretty predictable pattern. Um, you know, tight game to begin with. Uh, then the All Blacks broke out and uh, they didn't stop. Um, Bowden Barrett, uh, he was exceptional. Um, really, really impressed with him. I guess you know, um, for me, there's a lot of stuff uh, prior to. Uh, and after the game, which detracts from the whole Orbit experience at the moment, I guess I'm, you know, talking about uh, Steve Hansen uh, commenting that the Australians weren't respectable the week before in Sydney, uh, when they were presenting uh, a cap for 100 games. Um, yeah, that really does my head in. You know, I I don't recall getting any special prize when I turned up for work for the 100th time. Um, and that's what these guys are really doing. You know, they're getting paid um, and they're turning up for work. Now, you know, if they've been in the amateur era, you know, if we're talking about um, Alan Hewson or Dave Loveridge or some of those guys, you know, um, logging 100 plus games, and absolutely, because those guys are juggling work commitments and family commitments, not getting paid anything. Um, that is something special. But these guys, <clears throat> you know, uh, everything is paid for. Um, and so marking somebody. Uh, doing their 100th game and then having to go at uh, the opposition for not showing enough respect. I just don't know when we got so precious as the All Blacks. Um, and then the All Blacks running out in track suits. <clears throat> I don't know when that um, started either. So, yeah, just a lot of stuff that um, isn't sitting well with me at the moment in terms of the All Blacks. And capped off with Steve Henson asking the government for more money for players. And I guess, uh, you know... I get the feeling that perhaps even Steve Henson is starting to be taken over by the business of rugby uh, instead of concentrating on the game. I don't know what their fear is. You know, they will say that if we don't pay our top players enough um, that they'll go overseas and we'll be worse off. But when you look at the game on Saturday, you know, two of our top midfielders weren't available. We're talking about Ryan Crotty and Sonny Bill Williams. So number three is in there, um, and you wouldn't have known any difference. And as I said last week, Pastor Stu, you could probably put uh, anybody in from the Heartland Cup into that back line, and we would still beat the Australians at the moment. You know, we have so much depth in New Zealand. Um, it's something we're blessed with. I really don't think we need to be worried about players going overseas. And if they just extrapolated that out and thought about it a wee bit, Players going overseas is actually a good thing for New Zealand rugby because what happens is uh, these foreign sides uh, fill their teams with New Zealanders. That means that the locals aren't getting an opportunity. And so when they come to pick their national sides, um, they're not going to have that depth or experience. So, um, you know, if we want the All Blacks to be dominant, really, really dominant, we should be letting these guys go. Yeah, amen to that. And a lot of stuff in there, Reverend Mike, or very, very Reverend Mike. I'll start at the end. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, we should just let them go. It's no big deal at all. They're already getting paid a, a good wage here. I don't think we need the government 
to be topping them up. I thought that was a, a very, very strange uh, request from Steve Hansen. And actually a bit disrespectful to to talk about something like that when the Prime Minister of New Zealand is is just visiting the changing room and having a chat to the players. So I thought that was that was very odd. Um, just going back to one of the first things, you know, there's a lot of hoopla. There's a lot of hoopla before the game, but I could not believe that the All Blacks came out in tracksuit tops. I think I've only twice seen them do that before, and once was a, a very, very cold um, day, I, I think, on one of their UK tours. But I, I, even the, the Wallabies came out in just their playing tops, and then the All Blacks come out in um, in track tops, and so I thought that was that was very odd. Um, and I'd, I'd like to know what the thinking behind that was. I mean, football teams don't even do that typically. Yeah, yeah. But just back to um, the payments, Stu. You know, um, in paying players, I actually think uh, we pay our All Blacks uh, far too much. Um, and I think it's adding to the disconnect between the common New Zealander and rugby that's occurring. You know, um, I lost all interest uh, in the Crusaders uh, when they brought over um, Australians to play. For me, that is a, a prime opportunity to bring somebody in from the club game and put them into the Crusaders, you know. And uh, Scott Robertson might have to do something unusual. He might actually have to coach um, and uh, mentor somebody into a position. Uh, but bringing players over from overseas to play for um, the Crusaders, um, I just uh, I think it adds to the disconnect. And I think these vast sums of money that people are getting paid um, adds to that as well. And I think the last thing we need to do is to be uh, seeking government support to pay players. Yeah, well, the bringing players over from other countries, it, it kind of has an English football feel about it, doesn't it? Um, where... And you see that in some English clubs where the local players are not being developed. And so I'd hate for that to happen here. I mean, Digby Iwani played for the Crusaders, didn't he, uh, a, f- a couple of years back? And, and why? That's exactly right. I mean, why? I mean, um, it, it would have been much better for him to go to um, the uh, senior club competition and say, and look for their, look for their, um, uh, a player from there. And, you know... It, you know, it doesn't just um, it doesn't just extend to um, players. You know, uh, they brought uh, Ronan O'Gara over to help coach the Crusaders this year. I think that's just a slap in the face that every um, coach in New Zealand that's trying to make their way uh, into coaching professionally. You know, there's absolutely no need for it. Um, the country is chocker with fantastic coaches. They wouldn't have needed to look far. Um, you know, the other thing about the payments is that the argument will be uh, we need to pay our top players well um, to keep them in the game because when their career is over, uh, it's over. But that is um, so misguided, you know. I mean, uh, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, um, another generation ago, you know, you had a job and it was yours for life. You stayed in that job or that career for life. Now people are going to a job, they're there for five, ten years, they move out, they do a different career, uh, they move out, they do another career. They might do three or four careers in their lifetime. I don't know why um, professional sports players are any different. You know, you go into rugby knowing that you've got a certain lifespan, um, that your body's not going to be able to perform as it does when you're 18, 19, 20. Um, so why do we need to pay them uh, on the premise that they're not going to be able to do anything else when they finish rugby? Uh, I just think I just think that's nonsense. Um, the other thing is um, the, the haka, you know, um, love the haka. Um, it's very New Zealand, but it really it really does my head in that teams stand there and watch it. You know, um, they spend all this time in the changing rooms, mentally preparing their teams to go out into the field. 
and then they're prepared to go out and stand in the middle of the field while the opposition mentally prepares itself a little bit extra. I just I just can't understand that. Yeah, I don't think um, standing watching the haka um, is an indication of respect. I think you can show respect in different ways. Um, you can acknowledge it when it finishes. But if I was Michael Checker in the Wallabies, I'd be saying, we're not going to go stand in the middle of the field while the All Blacks um, step up a gear mentally at our expense. We'll get into a huddle, and they can do their haka, and we'll give them a clap at the end of it, but we're going to be talking about what we're going to be doing while they're doing their thing. It's become a spectacle, where I don't think that is the intention of it, and it's becoming a more complicated spectacle. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think teams need to need to stand there and watch it and you know, switch off mentally. It has become with um, the same with lots of parts of the game, too overly commercialised and, and pumped up. Um, and you know, I, I don't think there is actually the need for it the way we're seeing it at the moment. And certainly, yeah, there's not the need for the uh, opposition to do anything with it, really, because they don't really have any right of response. That's right. Um, we're in the church, so uh, God help the first team that uh, turns their back or goes into a huddle or, heaven forbid, circles the All Blacks doing the haka. Um, the first team that does that will be lambasted uh, far and wide, but I would say... Good on well, them. it was already done. Didn't John Eels do it? Didn't the the John Eels Wallabies turn the back their backs on the on the haka and then in Wellington, and then they got beaten like forty to five or something like that in that test. Long story short, I think just think there's too much pre match hoopla, uh, and whether that's some player coming out for his hundredth game or his fiftieth game, or uh, the way the national anthems are done. Um, or other welcomes and greetings onto the field. See, I much prefer the way they do it in World Cup football, where when they do the anthems, you know, it's one verse and there's no one singing and there's no dramatised version of whatever national anthem. It's just a band playing the music and the team sings and the crowd gets into it, you know, and it's done very quickly and then you're on with the game, and you're there for the sport. I, th- I think we need to, um, I think to a degree we need to allow the Australians to do their uh, welcome to our land um, by their Aboriginal elders, because, you know, as a country, they're, uh, they're well behind uh, New Zealand in terms of um, acknowledging their Indigenous culture. And I think I think that helps, uh, that helps uh, the country in, uh, in a long-term way. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased to see... Um, the welcome to our land and you know when you when you see it it's uh, it's actually come a long way in a very short space of time so the first first time they did it it was long um and uh the crowd really weren't very receptive at all now um it's short and sharp um there's normally always some humor to it um and the crowd are massively appreciative of it you know they stand and clap so i think it i think it's a good thing for australia that they continue to do that i i really pray uh, in the Church of Sport, that um, the Australian Rugby League team are never, ever allowed to do an Aboriginal dance or chant before a game again. That was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. Um, I don't think they're at that stage where they can pass it on to their sports players to um, to take on some cultural issues on behalf of the country. Is sport the place for this, though? Well, I mean that's a that's a that's a good question. I guess I guess it's uh, I guess it's intertwined, really, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, culture has always been part of sport, specifically in New uh, New Zealand. You know, um, we we don't have a great uh, history with it. You know, and I guess I'm specifically talking about the um, the 1950 
50s All Blacks to South Africa uh, when they chose not to include Maori players um, at the request of the South African Union. Uh, I think it's uh, still a big dark spot on our um, on our rugby history. Um, but you know, we we use the haka um, for the All Blacks. I think that's a, a good thing. I think I think there's a place for it, but it's got to be done right um, and. We've got to know why we're doing it. If we're just doing it as a spectacle, we, we're going to start running into problems, like the Australian rugby team doing the Aboriginal dance. Um, but the welcome to our land, um, I think, is just perfect. Um, I mean, what I object to is that we get the cameras right in there for the haka. We get microphones right in there. And if when you're at the grounds, then it's the actual haka is broadcast in a, around, the, around the grounds. And so we've got all these people in their face um, and then getting the reaction of the opposition as well, and so I, I just I just think it's lost its meaning a little bit. Um, the other thing is, I, I mean, I remember growing up, and the All Blacks used to only perform the haka overseas; they didn't do it in New Zealand, uh, which I think was 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 actually quite a good thing um, because they were overseas, therefore challenging an opposition uh, at their own place. Okay, so some other things from from the from the game or after the game. In fact, um, as usual, I checked out the press conferences, and the Australian press conferences was, was uh, kind of interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, I don't know about you, the very very Reverend Mike, but when I whenever I've gone into a meeting, I haven't actually, I've never gone into a press conference um, and been interviewed in a press conference in my life. But whenever I've gone into a meeting, I've done a couple of things. One, I've anticipated the questions that I might be asked. And two, I've thought of those responses, possible responses or scenarios that I might get into, that might come about when I'm in said meeting. Um, and I don't think Michael Checker does any thinking around that at all. And so there were, there were two, two quite key moments in that press conference, and they have been covered in the media a little bit, but I'll just run you through it. So Georgina Robinson from the Sydney Morning Herald, she asked him, this result won't ease the pressure on the team or you. How do you intend to handle the next period? So, Checker, how do you mean? Reporter 1, with lots of pressure on you. Checker, in what way? Georgina, the reporter, pressure on the team to win, pressure on your job. Checker, if you're naive enough to think I'm worried about myself here, then you don't know me at all. You've known for me for a while now. The last person I'm thinking about is me. I want Australia to play good rugby and be the best it can be. Now, I think that's very noble, but... At the, at the start of that, he was deliberately disruptive. He must have known, surely he must have known going into that press conference, given what's happened in the last few weeks or given what's happened all year, that he was going to be asked about his future in the game. And so I, th I just think that's, a, that's not a very classy way to respond to a reporter. Um, and, and I guess that's Michael Checker. I don't know what you yeah, think about I think about Michael that. Checker is going to be uh, the last person to admit that he uh, that his job is on the line or that he's uh, done every, anything wrong or that he's not doing something right. You know, I guess I guess if, if that were me um, and that reporter put that question, I would have said something like, yeah, uh, you're right, the, the heat the heat is going to be on now, isn't it? Uh, we're, we're still not performing. Um, I... I yeah, I head the team, um, and so you know, obviously, um, the pressure's on both myself and the team. You know, it, it, it's not difficult, right, no, to come up with a no. response of it. But he he is um, he is trying not to be defensive, mm. but in doing so, uh, coming across as super defensive. Yeah, I mean, all he had to say is, "Yeah, the pressure's on every week." <laughs> I mean, and imagine being the All Black coach. <laughs> and I mean, later on in that press conference, another reporter, Australian reporter, said to him, um, "You know, pushing the same buttons." 
which reporters do. Obviously, every coach under pressure, there's a debate in their minds about when the best time is to walk away. And so Checker goes, no, there's no time. You wouldn't have a clue. He did the classic, you know, you've never coached anyone. You don't know if there's a debate going on in my mind. I don't know where you come off saying that. I told you what I think of that categorically. If there's a debate going on in your mind, you need to get some pills to sort that out. Um, Again, not a very classy (laughs) response or measured or calm response. Uh, And that ties into what you're saying before. Uh, But that's quite a a defensive or or is it defensive or is it aggressive? Uh, Yeah, I think it's probably defensive, semi-passive, aggressive. But, you know, we're we're probably giving Michael Checker way too much credit um, in thinking that he would come out of anything else. You know, we talked last week, um, he's probably not the sharpest knife in the drawer um, and in terms of his coaching you know he hasn't adapted he hasn't come up with anything different for the Wallabies uh, they're playing awful rugby uh, they're trying to match the terrible rugby from uh, super rugby um, and translate that into uh, test rugby uh, they can't do it at super rugby level um, and they're certainly not going to be able to do it on the test match. Mm. So I think uh, I mean that's a big question for Raylan Castle who's the CEO of Australian Rugby uh, I mean, do they not give him tra- media training or does he not accept media training? I mean, I, I don't know how this works, but you'd hope that in high-performance sport, one aspect of that is is a little bit of professional development and how to handle the media if he's not used to handling the media. He's been in the job three years. Um, he's always been surly. I remember after the World Cup final, um, he was especially bitter. Okay, sure, they lost the World Cup final, but he wasn't very gracious and he's never been very gracious. Um, uh, and so therefore he doesn't cover himself in glory. Therefore, um, you know, he gets clown illustrations made. Yeah, of him. you know, I think, um, again, it's um, it's Michael Checker specific. You know, when you look at uh, Eddie Jones and even Alan Jones, you know, there are a couple of surly individuals um, that uh, didn't like uh, the media very much, um, and particularly after losing uh, games, whether it be to the All Blacks or anybody else, uh, they can be pretty prickly. But they're also uh, intelligent and prickly. Uh, Michael Checker, um, yeah, it's like he's, uh, he's preparing for a brawl uh, every time he meets the media. Okay, so talking media, um, commentators this weekend. <laughs> so there are a couple of things that I <laughs> that stood out for me. One was our friend, you call him the pie eater, I'm going to call him the prophet, Ian Smith. Right before halftime, the All Blacks score and he launches into a big, oh, they always score before halftime. Um, and, and just how amazing that was that the All Blacks managed to score again before halftime. Um, and then, so essentially pointing out the obvious, right? The All Blacks score a try and there's about two minutes to go before the break. Uh, that grated on me. The other thing that that he pointed out later on, it was kind of a dig at the at Australian rugby for some reason. Um, and it tied into the the Owen Franks thing. And he he had to point out, oh yeah, we're going to show him getting his cap after the game. Yeah, don't worry everybody at home. Uh, we're going to do it right. Yeah, again, this uh, this goes back to last week and how the um, Sky uh, commentators are just part of this whole rugby as a business uh, machine versus being about rugby. And, you know, they, uh, they, they say comments like that um, because they know it's going to push buttons and it's uh, more 
uh, it's more than the game, you know. And again, I think it's an indication. You know, the game doesn't need that drama. If the game is good enough, it doesn't need that drama at all. Uh, but we're injecting this drama into it simply because the game is not good enough anymore. You know, it is not a good standard of rugby. Uh, the Wallabies are awful. Um, Springboks aren't much better at the moment either. They've deviated from their natural game. Again, as I said last week, uh, there is a disease in rugby um, and it's not being treated. Um, and that's why we have to have all of these things like uh, nighttime rugby, uh, which the union rugby union and the media told us we needed and wanted, uh, but we didn't. Uh, like horses running around, like fireworks, like uh, bands at halftime, and like these mini-dramas um, around the All Blacks getting their uh, 100th cap and the Wallabies not paying respect. It's just twaddle. It's just nonsense. Um, but it all indicates to the game not being in a healthy state. Um, you know, and when when you talk about that, I uh, unfortunately uh, was listening to Radio Sport. Uh, sometimes it is okay. Uh, sometimes it's nonsense. And unfortunately, there was nonsense this morning when uh, they were giving some stat that 18% of the All Blacks tries are scored between the uh, 38th and the 42nd minute. Now, what does that mean? 18%. So, you know, therefore, 72% of their tries are scored at another time. You know, it just, it, it was a nothing statistic. You know, we know that um, for whatever reason, uh, the Wallabies, you know, tend to relax a little, little bit uh, just before halftime. If a team's going to do that, they're going to get punished. I don't think it's any great skill that the All Blacks have to score just before halftime. And, you know, if they were scoring 95% of their tries between 38 and 42 minutes, amazing. You know, let's, let's hear about that. Um, but that's not the case. So I was pretty disappointed with... Yeah, I was pretty disappointed with um, Radio Sport for talking such uh, nonsense. Um, and then, you know, uh, if we go to the print media shoot, um, there was something in the in the Saturday Press um, from a guy called Hamish Bidwell who wrote a comment, uh, and the headline was, Calls for Crotty's Retirement are tad hypocritical. And essentially what he, what he was doing, he was relating... Um, Ryan Crotty um, and the calls for um, him to be stood down because of his concussions with um, the sport of boxing. And just as a side note, I see that Ryan Crotty is back in the frame again, which is quite frankly beyond belief. Steve Henson said, yeah, he's okay. He's all right. There's nothing wrong with him. Um, I beg to differ. I'm not a medical person, but that many concussions, that's going to be a problem for the man uh, in the not-too-distant future. Um, but yeah, so this guy, Hamish Bidwell, was saying that, you know, we love boxing and we don't get into an uproar about that. But as soon as Ryan Crotty has a few concussions, we're saying um, he needs to retire. It's a wee bit like saying, for me, it's just rubbish journalism. It's a wee bit like saying uh, during that campaign a year or so ago in America, um, and the slogan was Black Lives Matter. Um, and then people were coming out and saying, actually, all lives matter. But you're really missing, you're really missing the point. You know, of course, all lives matter. But at that particular time, we were talking, or everyone was talking about black lives mattering in the context of what was happening in the United States. And so to come out and say that all lives matter was really missing the point. That might be, you know, that might be a valid thing to say, but it was missing the point about what was happening. And that slogan, black lives matter, was a standalone. I think um, Hamish Bidwell has made the same error. You know, uh, rugby is rugby. Players don't go into it uh, thinking or knowing that they're going to get a series of concussions. Um, and the knocks that they get are normally head against head. Um, boxers go into the sport knowing that they're going to get beaten up. 
and they prepare and they train for that. Um, and not every boxer gets knocked unconscious in every fight. So I think it was just a nonsense. Um, I think he's really missed a point with that. And disappointing that we see um, something so ill thought out um, preparing in one of our um, appearing in yeah, one of our. I think I mean boxers prepare to take shots to the head. Uh, rugby players don't prepare to take shots to the head. They prepare their body to take tackles. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you there. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Amen to that. You know, as I said last week, the the onus needs to be on the rugby union to do something about this. Mm. Uh, they can change as many laws as they like, but players are still going to get knocks to the head. They can reduce the injury by um, all players having to wear headgear, making it compulsory at all levels of the game. Everyone wears headgear. You know, two players knocking heads, both wearing headgear, is not going to be as significant as two players knocking heads at speed, not wearing headgear. You know, it may not prevent a concussion, but it's going to help reduce the injury. All right, so amen to that. Uh, very, very reverend, Mike. Uh, the other game that took place in the Rugby Championship over the weekend was the return match with uh, Argentina hosting the Springboks, and the Springboks got a pasting. They were 32-7 down after 45 minutes and just managed to burgle a couple of tries late on to give the scoreboard some respectability. Um, I thought this is, the Springboks were going to be a serious challenger again, and we seem to think this every year, but they don't seem to travel, and... Um, I don't, know, I don't know what sort of game they're trying to play. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I guess the disappointing thing about that game was that it was, it was not a game where um, the Pumas uh, stood up and um, put in one of their really outstanding performances, you know, their, um, their forward-driven, uh, hard-as-nails type performance. Uh, they played pretty average. Uh, unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately for them, the Springboks were just terrible. And... Um, don't want to harp on about this disease in rugby, but uh, they are demonstrating that the disease in rugby is uh, widespread, um, not only just in New Zealand and Australia, but um, has been in uh, South Africa for some time, and that's not getting no. better either. Well, if they want to be taken seriously, they've got to win these games. They've got to win games. They've got to be like the All Blacks, winning every game they can. Um, you know, you, sh you shouldn't be losing to Argentina in Argentina. I mean, Argentina has improved, but they're not the Springboks. They shouldn't be the Springboks. Um, yeah, that was quite quite odd to me. I couldn't believe the the gap between the two teams in terms of the scoreboard. And yeah, I don't, I don't think Argentina did, from the highlights I, I saw, they didn't do anything that amazing. It was just some very poor play from the Springboks as well, and the Argentinians managed to execute. Um, yeah, disappointing, because we do like the uh, Springboks here on the Church of Sport, don't we? We do indeed. Uh, another thing that happened over the weekend here in Canterbury was the um, University of Canterbury Cup final which is the well, secondary school first 15 comp premier competition and it was the final between Christchurch Boys High School and Christ College traditional foes of course and it was an 18 all draw but the cup went to Christchurch Boys High School because they'd scored more tries um, people were crying out for uh, that I read on social media they were, they couldn't work out why that had happened that way and it's quite simple really because they were the rules of the competition um, but they wanted some extra time um, and maybe even then penalty kicks at goal. I don't know. Did you see much any of that game or uh, follow any of that game? Yeah, I, I didn't see it, but I was following it. And again, you know, uh, people need to pull their heads in. These are the rules of uh, junior and teenage 
rugby finals um, that there is no extra time and that there's a bit of a count back in you know Christchurch boys high uh, ended up winning that on tries and if those are the rules um, that they enter into the game knowing those rules then uh, nobody should be complaining at all I guess um, I guess there's a couple of things for me uh, I wasn't too displeased uh, to see Christ not come away with it um, as much as I don't uh, support Christchurch boys um, and that was purely because um, I thought Ruben Thorn. Um, I was really disappointed with him. So um, he had to get to the um, Canterbury game um, on Saturday afternoon, um, and so and so he wasn't sticking around. Win, lose, or draw, um, he was um, getting away from that game uh, as soon as he could and getting to the Canterbury game. Um, you know, those boys um, have made it to the final. Um, there are going to be plenty of Canterbury games. It wasn't like it was a final for Canterbury-Wellington. Um, it was just a, a round-robin game. Um, the man could have stayed on and supported his team um, and been with them, um, you know, for at least an hour or so and then made his way to the game. So I thought that was a bit off. So the other thing about the UC Cup final, um, and again, um, most disappointing, um, the rugby union, Canterbury Rugby Union, wouldn't allow it to be played at Rugby Park, which is traditionally where it was played um, at Christchurch Boys, um, and I don't know the rash- I don't know the rationale, but um, for some reason they are super precious about that Rugby Park now, um, and um, I don't think that's on. You know, traditionally that's where finals have been played. Um, and uh, to deny uh, those young men um, of an opportunity to play in a uh, historic ground like Rugby Park um, is just not on. Um, you know, if that ground's going to get cut up from uh, the UC Cup final, then so be it. If the Canterbury uh, provincial side or the Crusaders need to go and train somewhere else, then they can go and train somewhere else. You know, it's a special occasion for those UC Cup boys um, and to not allow them to pack out Rugby Park for it um, is um, a travesty. Yeah, uh, that is a bizarre situation. I mean, one thing um, that's coming up that we might talk about in another programme one of the things that has been a little bit controversial over the last few years in the UC Cup is the use of combined teams. So, for example, Lincoln combined and there's been uh, Waimea combined. And so these are co-ed schools usually who don't, who don't have the strength and numbers to, to, to field a, a team with some depth. And so they've combined with some other schools. For example, Lincoln combines with Darfield and Ellesmere uh, to make a stronger team, basically. Um, and, and part of that is protecting some of those boys who might be picked up from some of these traditional rugby schools, which has happened quite a bit over the years. Um, and so a couple of years ago now, there was a three-year deal struck so that these combined teams could play. And there's been a lot of discussion, and there will continue to be discussion about these teams and a lot of the traditional schools asking the question on how fair this is. Um, what disturbs me about this is I just want to know what some of these traditional schools have to fear. Um, because it has made, in most cases, these combined schools have got stronger. They they haven't been blown out by a hundred points, which has happened in the past. And so you've you've had better competition. You've had more of these players exposed to this top level of uh, first fifteen rugby. And in my way of thinking, it, it's been great for the competition uh, to see this. As I said, there's only been one of these combined teams maybe that has really struggled this year. But I think that's there are other things at play. With that, um, they don't seem to have a good team culture either. So um, maybe that's something we can have a think about and discuss um, maybe next year. Yeah. You, you, you know, Pastor Shaw, in my experience, um, 
you know, the rugby masters at Christchurch Boys and Christ College wouldn't know fear if it came up and kicked them in the pants. You know, these, these guys, it's um, win at all costs um, and get the players that they need in um, by doing anything, offering uh, offering uh, different things to get them over to their schools. Um, I just don't think it's needed. You know, uh, Christchurch Boys High actually have a really great rugby program where they generally run their teams um, a grade higher than what they should play, and what that does is, uh, by the time by the time they get to first fifteen level, um, those players um, are seasoned uh, are seasoned teenage rugby players, and uh, that's why they've been so successful. Um, so yes, yeah, so I I think them crying foul over things not being fair. Um, is uh, super rich. Oh, yeah, because most of those, again, a lot of those traditional schools, they have much larger budgets than the combined schools do, you know, much larger budgets. And, of course, with single-sex schools, um, you know, they, they have a, a greater talent pool. They have a greater pool of players to begin with than what you'll get at a co-ed school. So, anyway, uh, it's always an interesting competition, the the uh, UC Cup or formerly the Press Cup. And I remember going back to the well, it's probably the late nineties now, wasn't it, when Aranui High School re-entered the press cup and and won it uh, that first year that they were back in there, and um, that didn't sit very well either. <laughs> so there's a lot of traditional stuff in rugby, of course, and and no more so than in schoolboy rugby in in Christchurch. All right, anyway, onwards and upwards, and that's the Warriors who uh, we were talking last week and we were wondering if they could actually get into the top eight. They did it with a, a very comprehensive victory over the Panthers. Um, super comprehensive. So um, probably nobody saw that coming. Um, uh, it was a great performance by the Warriors. Probably not one of their uh, best performances. Um, and I would say that they probably caught the Panthers on an off day, to be fair. Um, they may have got up and won even against a, uh, a really well-performing Panthers side. Um, but yeah, they caught the they caught the Panthers on a, on a good day from the Warriors' perspective and uh, didn't miss their chance. Um, and really great that they're now in the top eight. Um, we still have to wait a week now. So um, it's it's never good enough, is it? Um, we we were waiting to see if they'd make the top eight, um, and now we're waiting to see where they fall in that top eight um, and who we end up playing. It looks like our chances of making the top four are probably gone, um, but uh, we're in the we're in the finals, uh, and that's the main thing. We get uh, one, at least one more week of the Warriors playing uh, than we have for um, a number of years. Yeah, oh, it's good stuff. But yeah, they won't finish top four because their points differentials. Uh, not good enough. I mean, they are only. Uh, I think the Melbourne Storm has have thirty four points and they're in first, and the Warriors are on thirtieth and uh, thirty points in eighth. Uh, so it's again, it's a very tight competition. But even if they beat Canberra and they're playing Canberra at home, which is good, so they hopefully will take that game. Uh, if they want momentum into the finals, they need to win that game and um, and be confident uh, because they could end up playing. Um, you know, obviously they're going to play someone who's finished higher than them um, and, and finishing lower, they don't get any second chances. So they need to do it. I remember, uh, you know, the last time they made the grand final, they had an, uh, obviously a uh, superb run and they beat Melbourne, Melbourne, I'm pretty sure. And they also beat Brisbane on their way to the final. So um, they can do it. <clears throat> um, and they, They've got some players back as well, which is is handy. Absolutely. So, um, and particularly with uh, the Rabbits and uh, St George starting to fall over big time. I see St George were booed off uh, their park on the weekend. Um, so that is really good to see. So yeah, so you, you never know. This could be. Um, 
the year for the Warriors. Um, I guess we'll know in that first week of finals. If we win well, um, that could be enough to um, you know, uh, catapult us straight through into the finals um, with some good form behind us. Um, if we only sneak through, um, it could start sending the nerves through the team again. And we know that nervous Warriors don't play well. All right, so the very, very Reverend Mike, he's just popped out because we're about to talk EPL. And so um, joining me now, I'm very, very pleased to introduce to you the choir boy to talk EPL. How are you, choir boy? Thank you, Pastor Stu. It's great to be here in the Church of Sport. I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, I'm excellent. I'm excellent. So full round of EPL, of course, happened over the weekend. Greatest uh, sporting competition in the world, the English Premier League. And um, I have to say that uh, Liverpool... Three games, three wins. Great goal from Mo Salah, uh, top of the table with uh, Manchester City, uh, drawing um, their game. Uh, quite a controversial game there. But I guess the big news for you, Choir Boy, is that Arsenal actually managed to get some points. Even though they went behind, uh, they came good and won 3-1. You would have been excited about that. Yeah, I was quite excited when I woke up um, when I woke up Sunday morning and saw that result. You know, um, so... I think United Emery is going to really bring a new dynamic impact into the team, especially with Arsenal not doing so good over the past, I'd probably say about eight years now. We've only won about two, three trophies, I think, and they've both been FA Cups over the over those past years. Also, of us not being in the Champions League anymore, I really think he's going to bring a new dynamic into the team. So, yeah, that should be good. Well, he does have some good players. Do you think he got the old man smell out of uh, the Emirates Stadium? Uh, yeah, definitely. He's definitely gotten rid He's definitely gotten rid of the Wenger uh, smell from the stadium now, I think. So, yeah. I watched the highlights of that game, and what I was impressed with Arsenal was that they did come from behind. Um, they could have bottled that by going behind to West Ham, but they uh, they actually managed to, to pull through, and they scored some nice goals and really opened up the defence uh, quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Arsenal coming up on the weekend, they're playing Cardiff City. So that should actually be another three points, you would hope. Yeah, I mean, it should be um, as long as... So, yeah, I mean, it should be as long as Aubameyang doesn't have another shock like he did against Chelsea. You know, um, I honestly just couldn't believe when he missed that open goal. You know, it, it just it blew my head away. One of the interesting things from the Premier League this weekend, I saw uh, players, two players, in fact, booked and then maybe eventually sent off. Uh, for diving, which was was good to see. So hopefully in the English Premier League, I don't know how you feel, choir boy. Uh, I hope the referees are going to dish out a few more cards this year and control some of the shenanigans that go on, especially complaining about decisions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I personally think that the footballing attitude is just totally not okay. You know, um, so I'm a rugby player myself. Um, I played rugby all my life. I've never really gotten into football. So I mean, I love to watch football, but I've never really played it myself. Um, apart, so the main thing I don't really like about football is the fact that football players continue to argue with the referee after the decision's been made. I mean, it's not going to change anything. There, it never changes anything, and it just influences younger players. Um, when when they watch the heroes on TV argue with the referee, it influences them to argue with the referee on a Saturday morning. You know, it's just not good enough, in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. It it is a, a scar on the game. Um, but it has become, it is commonplace. And um, yeah, I don't know, unless they start sending players off, uh, which is actually in the rules. Um, any abuse any abuse of anybody on the field, and that can be the referee as well, it is supposed to be a, a red card. Uh, 
And the, do you know what the worst crime in football is? What, no, what's the worst crime in football? Spitting. So spitting on a player can earn you a, a six-game suspension. That's the greatest suspension that's available in football. That doesn't really seem right to me, you know. Um, I mean, so, um, I mean, there was that incident a couple of years ago where Eric Cantona um, karate kicked a fan um, in the crowd for like, yeah, for, for saying something about his mum, I think, something like that. But yeah, I don't know. But spitting a six-game ban is like, I'm pretty sure there's some much worse things you can do than spitting at another player. Well, yes, you can seriously break somebody's leg if you, if you really wanted to in a tackle uh, in the career-ending injuries. Um, I don't think anyone is going career is going to end just because someone has spat at them, although it's pretty disgusting behaviour, I have to say. All right, and that was uh, the choir boy with his thoughts on the English Premier League and investment, and we'll have him back for sure, um, especially to talk when Arsenal lose some more games. I think that will be entertaining. All right, so thanks for listening uh, to the Church of Sport. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook. Leave us a comment and a review, and uh, we've had some comments already, and we'll get to those next week, I think, on the program. Uh, We'll be back next week at some stage uh, with some more sporting issues from New Zealand and beyond. And so behalf of my co-host, the very, very Reverend Mike, I'm Pastor Stu. And go in peace or just go hard. Amen to that, Pastor Stu. <laughs>